It's Lucy Litch, and this is Tiny House Conversations. It's the Australian-based podcast where I interview experienced tiny houses, tiny builders, and adventurers in the tiny world, so you can discover how to create, build, and transition into tiny life. Before we get into the show, I want to know something. Are you a tiny houser and would you like to share your tiny house story and experiences on the podcast? Or are you a business that has a product or service that aligns with the tiny house movement and would be beneficial for the tiny house community that you'd also like to share on the podcast? If so, I'd love to hear from you and you can head over to tinyhouseconversations.com and on there you'll see a section that says share your story. If you fill out your details there, I'll get back to you very soon. Now, here's the intro. Welcome back to Tiny House Conversations. Today is another different kind of podcast. And in this episode, we're going into part two of Tiny House takeaways and highlights from this year's podcasts. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, that was part one. And I basically played some different highlights from the first 15 episodes of this year, as well as, you know, made some comments about them. And in this episode, we're going through episodes number 16 to 30, and I'll be playing the the highlights and takeaways for you as well. So first up, I spoke with Matt and Kathy McMillan on episode number 16, all about composting toilet experiences and using the separate tiny composting toilet. Let's hear what they had to say. If you've got a good toilet, like separate tiny, you know, there is that disconnection there. You're not going to get it on you or anything like that. And there's only a brief second where you might see it or smell it when you're changing it over. This is nature. It's, it's part of it. If you want to be sustainable and, and save water, that's what you've got to do. Something that is so natural that we all do, but we don't like to talk about and, you know, find it really strange or gross or out of sight, out of mind, but dealing with it and having to appreciate, you know, this giving back to the earth and this regeneration of the soil and all of that, it's part of it. it. You know, animals do it, humans can do it if we deal with our own waste in that way. And so thinking of it in a deeper perspective, it is that connection to the everyday life and to nature. Being a bit more connected to nature and, and dealing with all of these natural processes, you become more aware of your health, like how hydrated you are or dehydrated, like just notice, I think. It really does come back to this connection or disconnection from nature, as both Kathy and Matt mentioned. And I think that things like a composting toilet do really make you more considerate with how you're living and how you're doing things and how you're operating. And for me, I'm reminded of this idea of self-responsibility. And now we talked about this in episode 24 with Marie Berenger, and she was saying, you know, why would the responsibility of obtaining different resources or these different things that we do in our daily life, why would that responsibility fall on someone else? And it's so true if you think about it. And so this is a perfect example of that. You know, we, in general, using flushing toilets and, you know, this thing is out out of sight, out of mind, and, you know, we're not used to having to actually deal with it. And in episode 15, Anthony Smith talks about, something is it's not 
waste if you don't waste it. And I think about that when we talk about human waste, because actually what we potentially have is resources for very nutrient rich soil and taking part in the natural cycles of life and of nature and of this ecosystem taking from the earth and then giving back to it, right? This is the cycle of nature, this reciprocity and giving and receiving. And we can think about that in, you know, we're obtaining this nourishment from the earth and, you know, it gives us life and it gives us nutrition and it gives us health. And then, you know, we can give back to it just like what animals do when they're living on the land, right? So there is this larger ecosystem that in general humans are not really participating in so much. And so I I love that, you know, this idea of self-responsibility and connection to nature and being more involved in these inner workings of our day and of our life and of this ecosystem is an opportunity that we get through tiny house living. Okay, so next up from episode 17, I spoke with Brenda Kelly from IQ Container Homes. And in this clip, she talks about some of the benefits of shipping container homes. Let's have a listen. These things are designed to survive a life at sea in a very harsh environment because they're also designed to take a lot of weight. They have already had your structural integrity in, in the base. The cotton steel as well, it's a form of weathering steel. And once it's treated, it pretty much can last forever if you, if you maintain it. It's a very good product that will stand the test of time. It's also recyclable at the end of its life. So from a, a green perspective as well, um, you're not just going to be sending it to landfall at, at the end of its life. Earthquake, fire and hurricane resistant compared to traditional construction you can put as much weight in them as you want without having to to think twice whereas often tiny homes on wheels and things you're restricted weight wise and then you can they're designed to be permanent homes so we get council approval for them part of that process involves us proving that they have a minimum 50 year durability um, and you've got the assurance that you know council have signed off on on the way we do things and and that it is a, a quality product that meets building code Just like tiny homes, there seems to be many benefits of shipping container homes. And if you haven't already, I highly recommend watching Brenda's Living Big in a Tiny House episodes. I think she's been on there three times with various different shipping container homes and her current one in Lake Taupo in New Zealand is so incredibly beautiful and and just the location is stunning. I'll put a link in the show notes at tinyhouseconversations.com for those. And interestingly enough... This episode with Brenda is my second most popular tiny house conversation overall. So that's very interesting. And it tells me that in addition to tiny homes, people are also interested in knowing more about shipping container homes. And I know that some people look at them for living in and then others might use them for storage options. So it is another one of those multi-purpose things that you can use in your life. Okay, so next up on episode number 18, I spoke with Paul Pritchett from Great Escape Finance. And in this clip, Paul talks about one of the biggest misconceptions of tiny house finance. Let's have a listen. Most people haven't considered how much the repayments will be. 
a $100,000 tiny home if your interest rate is high because your uh, credit history or your banking behaviour has been a bit average. So you could quite easily be paying somewhere around $375 a week in, in repayments or more. And so you're getting up around the $1,500, $1,600, even $1,700 a month. And that is somewhat equivalent to about a $400,000 mortgage. Of course, a mortgage is spread over 30 years. So you will be paying more interest over the course of that loan from a, a client's best interest. If you can pay that loan off sooner, even if you are incurring a, a large interest rate. So if you can pay that loan off in seven years, five years, three years, fantastic. Even if you've got a higher interest rate, you're you're typically going to see that your total interest spent over the term of the loan is a lot less. But the reality is that that's just not affordable for most people. Isn't that interesting? There does seem to be this perception of financial repayments on a tiny home being smaller than a regular sized home. I know that Paul and the team at Great Escape Finance are doing their best to you know, make tiny finance more accessible to more people. And if you have any questions about that, you can definitely get in contact with Paul at Great Escape Finance directly. And next up on episode 19 of the podcast, I spoke with Tom Coop from TC Tiny all about bushfire resilience and tiny homes. And in this takeaway, Tom speaks about the demographic of people that most need to consider building bushfire resilient tiny homes. The people who need to make fire resilient houses the most are those who are least able to rebuild. Rebuilding can be difficult for a number of factors. It could be age or physical ability, your mental ability to navigate a very bureaucratic system, and obviously financially. Either people can't afford the insurance, the insurance companies are just saying no, flat out no, to do, insuring those houses, or they may not pay out enough to rebuild. Rebuilding costs continuously go up. In the end, the people who need fire-resilient houses the most are those who are least able to rebuild. And unfortunately, like a lot of things, this impacts women over the age of 50 more than it does the rest of our society. They're often less able to rebuild or less able to build in the first place. It's a very common demographic for full-time living tinies. So there's no surprise that the two cross over. That is definitely an area that I get a lot of interest in, custom-built fire-resilient tiny houses. I feel like Tom seems to be one of the very few tiny house builders that's talking about bushfire resilience, or at least that's having a specific focus on bushfire resilient tiny homes. And because the reality is, you know, we do have bushfires all over the country at different times of year, or we can have them, that this is something that's really necessary to consider and to think about. And I guess it also turns on its head a lot of practices that many of the builders have in terms of maybe the different types of materials that they use or how they construct tiny homes and Tom's talking about doing things completely differently to that so I think it is really great that there is someone focusing on it so you can definitely get in in contact with Tom directly as well. And then next up for episode 20, I spoke with Chris and Bry from Big Life Tiny Home, and they're just so much fun, uh, as you'll get to hear. And in this clip, they were talking about how they approach their tiny house work site as they started building tiny homes with no experience. 
We expect things to not go perfectly. We laugh. Our work site, I'm proud to say, is so fun and positive and happy. And everyone who's kind of coming around is like having a good time. <laughs> like the welder pushed another job to come back today. We had a yeah. good laugh. We think every day is good. Yeah. And that's how we're approaching our work site. We're a bit of a revelation to everyone who's <laughs> meeting us and coming by so far. Yeah, they're like, wow, this work site's different. <laughs> yeah. If somebody's, you know, listening to this and they're not doing a tiny, tiny house on wheels, they're like just building a little extension or whatever. Like even if you're not doing the building, set the tone for fun, expect mistakes. Chris was up on the scaffold today and I was just holding the camera because I'm like, oh, if she falls, that's good footage. Yeah. holding a rope with all my might pulling this beam and then like a really good song came on so I thought that was an opportunity to just dance a little bit you know not sure about you but it sounds like a building site that I would love to be a part of and since the time of recording this episode together episode number 20 Chris and Bri have actually gone ahead and finished building their first tiny home which they took to a recent Brisbane tiny homes expo And on the back of that, they've decided to continue building more tiny homes for other people. And they're both interior designers and and their tiny home, the way that it was decorated is one of the most beautiful that I've seen. You can definitely get in touch with Chris and Bri too directly. And then next up, I spoke with Elle Payton from Littlefoot on episode number 21 and we talked all about Elle's experience of going through her local council to get approval for living in her tiny home long term and we also talked about the state of where the regulations are with tiny homes and in this preview Elle talks about some of the considerations for going through your local council for pre-approval for living in a tiny home long term Not everyone goes through this process. It's really going to depend on yourself and what's most important to you and how you feel most comfortable approaching this situation and and living in your tiny house. There's a lot more educated councils out there now that want to know, they'll go, well, we want to see architectural designs. We want to see the quality that's gone into the build. We want to know that the person putting in a proposal to place a tiny house is the product expert and are working uh, with the relevant tradespeople in order to place a quality home in a local environment. Nationally, there is changes in policy. For example, in New South Wales, those impacted by emergencies could indeed live in caravans and, and therefore tiny houses for a period of two years while they are rebuilding their lives. If you look closely at many councils' policies, there is a place for tiny house, but you do need to do your homework. You do need to have commitment and you do need to have the tenacity to dig those pieces out in order to support any proposal you're putting forward when placing a tiny home. It is challenging, but I think it's so worth the effort. If I remember correctly, when I spoke with Elle on the podcast, I think that the process she went through took about two years and she really had to go through bringing a case of so many different things, just like she mentioned in this preview. So if you're you're someone that feels like you would like to go through the process of working with local council to put the steps in to get approval for your tiny home definitely check out this episode. And interestingly enough, from what I know, most people living in a tiny home full-time in Australia and probably around the world too 
are doing so under the radar. So again, you've got to make that choice of what option is best for you. And next up for episode number 22, I spoke with Eugene, Lauren and Till from Tiny Easy over in New Zealand. And in this clip, they spoke all about some of the benefits of tiny house life, as well as designing a tiny house to suit your needs. It's such an amazing way of getting into a home that doesn't cost the world. Especially for the younger generation, it's just so difficult nowadays to get into a home that's your own. Tiny homes are just that are just hitting that sweet spot where you can live in a beautiful space that is well designed. It allows you to do the things that you actually really want to do. You also have the money to be able to spare for that too. <laughs> you can so, work less if you want to. That's exactly. right. So you're able to enjoy your life a little bit more. You can live in a space that's just perfect for you. So in a tiny house, if you design it yourself or you find a design that's perfect for you, you know that every single space in the tiny house is actually going to help your lifestyle. The process you go through when when designing a tiny house, you really think about you first and then the design follows after rather than trying to to fit yourself in a, in a preset box that just doesn't work for you. With our own tiny house, we managed to design a really small tiny house that fits everything that we need. Designing a tiny house to suit and fit your needs is something that I've spoken about over and over again on the podcast as well as outside the podcast. And I think it is such an important thing to consider how are you going to spend your days? You know, what kind of setup do you need? Do you work from home? Uh, do you need lots of storage? And just really going back to basics of what you need and also what your values are. And Lauren, Eugene and Till are doing some great things over at Tiny Easy and they've got an online 3D tiny house builder to help you design your tiny house in minutes and I've actually got a special code so it's tinyhouseconversations.com forward slash tiny house designer and if you use my code lucy75 at checkout you'll receive 75% off the first month of the premium option. Okay, next I spoke with Jimmy Hurst from Polkadot on episode 23 of the podcast, all about tiny house eco communities. And in this preview, Jimmy talks about the importance and benefits of living in community and how it's where we came from. The community of people that can collaborate, work together and cooperate can save a lot of money, but also can be more stable Actually, what we all need as people is a sense of loving, supportive, compassionate community, like an extended family. And that's the way we've actually been born. That's the way we've evolved. If we actually have a chance to breathe out and look at ourselves and look at the way our world is and understand what's good and bad about it. But then again, tiny housing, co-housing communities, people be able to move, come and go until they find their tribe reducing their impact on the planet. It's just such a beautiful checklist of things that the benefits just tick so many boxes that we've so lost the ability to be in community and society has not taught us very much about how we actually work from being isolated individuals. It's, it's conditioning that, that happens when you're individualized and understand that we're, we're part of the planet. We come from the land, the land, we don't own land, the land, land owns us. We come from their land. We've only got each other. I really love this reminder from Jimmy that communities are part of our natural design and how we evolved and we see how things play out when we become separate from each other, you know, especially in the last few years, whether it's different beliefs, different 
ways of being, different perspectives. And then that creates things like separation and loneliness and feeling like we don't belong or don't fit. And so I think it's so important that even with different perspectives, different ways of being, different belief systems, that we really find the common ground that links us all together and that is being human. And of course, it doesn't mean that we need to get along with everyone or we need to live with certain people that may not be in alignment with you know, how we want to spend our days and how we want to live and, and what kind of community that, that we create. But simply having that human connection is something that is so fundamental. It's such a foundational aspect of our human existence. And it's so nice to see that more people wanting to return to living in community. And of course, also having your own space is another important thing and and those clear, healthy boundaries. And then next up on episode 24 of the podcast, I spoke with Marie Berenger, who lives in Auckland, New Zealand. And in this takeaway, Marie talks about how living in a tiny house is not going to solve all your problems and that you've got to find happiness as you go. Let's take a listen. While you're building it, you're feeling like you align with your values a bit more and you it feels like you've got a purpose and you're doing something really, really good. But having a tiny house is not going to necessarily make you happy. I just don't want people to think that once they've got a tiny house, life is going to be perfect and their life is going to be so simple and easy. You have to be happy before it as well because it was such a long time goal for me that I thought after building my tiny house, I'll be happy for like life. But I'm like, oh, now I've got all of those other things that I need to do and all of those other projects. You're building yourself a lifestyle and you're trying to be aligned with your values. Just also work on enjoying the moment and be happy with your life, however it's going, because you're doing something amazing and it's not the end of that chapter. Having this massive goal is not going to solve other problems in your life. It's going to be an amazing journey, but just try to also, you know, take the time to actually find happiness as you go. This is a nice reminder that happiness is an inside job. And even with a tiny house, it's still something material that is outside of yourself. And so, yes, it can bring so much richness to your life in many ways, but it's not necessarily the tiny house itself. And it reminds me of something that Everett Norris spoke about on episode 45 of the podcast, where he said, it wasn't the tiny house that made me happy. It was the life that made me happy or the life that he created. And there's so many great lessons in there and just something to remind ourselves of when we're setting these goals of, okay, I want to, I know I want to live in a tiny house. And then once I do that, then I'll be happy. Or once I do this, then I'll be happy. And it's like, you can keep going down that path again and again and again. And it's like, life is still going to happen. Stuff is still going to come up. Challenges are still going to come up. You're still going to fall on your face. But what really matters is how you get back up and then what you do next. And I think a tiny house can be such a great opportunity to design our lives how we want to live them, create more space and create more freedom so we can then continue to be our best selves and find that happiness inside. 
Now, next up on the podcast for episode 25, I spoke with Ethan Waldman, who's the host of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. And in this preview, Ethan talks all about tiny house security. Security was never something that I had ever been concerned about. Over the years, I, I have seen many stories of stolen tiny houses. Putting a lock on the hitch prevents a vehicle from hitching to it. You can use wheel locks. There are alarm systems. In 2019, getting GPS tracking was like something that you had to pay a monthly fee for. Now you can buy an AirTag from Apple for 30 bucks and security cameras too. Just you can buy a $30 internet connected security camera and just keep an eye on your house. After a couple of years, my tiny house was not my primary residence. It was in a very rural location, but it was also sitting there. So even though there there wasn't a lot of crime, there was a lot of time. You know, if they wanted to steal it, they they would have all the time in the world to slowly kind of take it off the jack stands and, you know, lower it down and disconnect the power. And so adding those security features just give you a little peace of mind, I guess. Up until reading Ethan's book, Tiny House Decisions, I hadn't really seriously given a thought to tiny house security. And I think it is something worth considering, at least as a precaution. And of course, it it will depend on where you end up parking your tiny house. But interestingly, because tiny houses at the moment are this exciting, interesting, fun thing, it evokes a lot of curiosity in people in it. And it attracts a lot of attention. I know a lot of people want to go up close to them and have a look and go inside them and, and all of that. And so you just never know, I guess, if it's the, the wrong kinds of people that come across them. Uh, it, it is good to have a precaution. And I guess it's figuring out what works best for you. And I've certainly looked into things for my own tiny house, like wheel clamps, hitch locks, that kind of thing. Where I'm parked is feels like a, a relatively safe place and it's quite far from the main road. So I haven't really done anything about all of that yet. I might in the future or I guess we'll just see. Okay, next up is actually a clip of myself. So on episode 26, I asked 13 tiny houses what their most valuable lessons from tiny house living were. And because I didn't want to pick one out of all of them, I decided to share a clip of myself just kind of giving some final thoughts and a summary and takeaways of what I learned from hearing all their answers. And for me, one of the biggest things was self-responsibility, but let's have a listen. Self-responsibility, I feel, is maybe one of the biggest things. You know, when we can take responsibility into our own hands of how we're living, how we're being, what we're consuming, what resources we're using, and how much space we're taking up, that is next level of self-responsibility. And this is something that is so aligned when it comes to this tiny house way of living. So reducing our impact on the earth and making these conscious choices, going back to basics, remembering what's most important, is it internal or is it external, having this intentional choice to simplify life, having our basic needs met, being so self-sufficient and being able to, again, empower ourselves with new skills, with new experiences, with new ways of living and being. So interestingly, this episode, episode number 26, is the most popular episode overall since the Tiny House Conversations podcast has been around. 
I highly recommend it because it is great to learn from those that have gone before us and just to take away little bits and pieces of what other people have learned and experienced so that we can maybe avoid certain mistakes or certain challenging situations or just have an expanded view of uh, tiny house living and what we can take forward into our everyday lives. And I know for me at the time of recording, I'm actually moving into my tiny house properly next week. So that's going to be the beginning of December. It's been a little while to get things set up with tradespeople and all of that, uh, but it's all falling into place now. And I know that I'm going to have many more lessons to share with you on the podcast. Uh, there's already so many lessons in terms of just going through the journey at the start and going through the design process, which I've shared a lot about on, on the show and different experiences and lessons from setting things up and for getting prepared and you know, for all the, all the different things. So stay tuned for that. And then next up, I spoke with Joe Arneson, who's one of the co-founders of LJM Carpentry and Construction, a tiny house building company based on the Sunshine Coast of Queensland. And in this clip, Joe talks all about how your tiny house build cost is not the final cost of your tiny house expenses overall. And I think that's a really great point to highlight. So let's hear what Joe has to say. It's really important to, to know that the cost of the tiny house build that you build with us or another tiny house builder is not your complete cost. You need to be thinking about delivery to site, your site preparation, because our tiny houses are you know right on that 4.5 tonne mark. I would highly recommend putting down a small concrete pad to park your tiny house on if you can. That will effectively mean your tiny house will last forever because it's not got any stress put on it. If you're unable to do that or you don't want to work with concrete, get a professionally laid road base, fully level pad put down. Often we can't install or include the guttering in the factory because it takes it outside the legal width for delivery. So you'll need to factor in things like your guttering, your downpipes, you know, your water tank, getting like your on-site power to site, and maybe you need to buy a new washing machine or fridge to suit your tiny house, things like insurance. It's good to really look at the bigger picture I love this insight from Joe because I learned this firsthand that there are so many other costs involved when it comes to setting up your tiny house and to creating this tiny house life. So from adding furniture in your tiny home to things that you're setting up, whether you're engaging tradespeople to like what Joe was talking about, leveling out your tiny house pad, whether it's getting rainwater tanks connected whether it's installation of solar systems and you know other other types of things like that maybe you're getting a composting toilet that is an additional expense to the to build like it was for me or I ordered my own composting toilet which was a different one than they normally do at at the the building company and you know on and on and on. I've got a running list of tiny house expenses which I will be doing a full episode on very soon. And it is important to know that if you're budgeting for your tiny house journey to leave some leeway for lots of other different costs that come up. Okay, next up from episode 28, I spoke with naturopath Amy Skilton about mold proofing your tiny home. And in this clip, Amy talks about managing mold and moisture in your tiny home 
as well as an interesting statistic on new builds. Most people think, oh, we just need to open the windows more. If it's humid outside, you're just allowing that moisture to come inside and make the inside of your property wet or damp. The challenges of moisture vapor that us as human beings produce as a result of sweating and breathing, and then the things that we do inside our homes like cooking and showering and cleaning. And that's a lot of moisture that can remain trapped inside your home if it's not well ventilated. We're seeing a trend with energy efficient style homes homes where they're trying to seal the home so tightly that it actually doesn't allow the building to breathe and you're going to create mold problems. In fact, a a study that was done found there was mold in I think up to 85% of new builds and certainly 45% within the first year. And this is partly due to building practices because people just follow the building code and, and think that these things are best practice, but also because most people, including myself, prior to training as a mold testing technician, weren't taught. For me, when designing my tiny home, being able to prevent mold from occurring was very, very important. And just like Amy mentioned at the the end of the clip there, talking about the building codes, it's very similar in that. And if you've listened to many of the different episodes of the podcast now on building materials, on this mold episode, on bushfire resilience, the building codes of Australia do not account for these things. They don't account for the health and environmental impacts of, uh, you know, building these homes. And so that's that's a worry and, and that's where we've got to be really diligent in putting into practice, you know, many different things that we can do to prevent the conditions of moisture and mould. Okay, next up on the podcast for episode 29, I spoke with Jesse Anion, who is the founder of King Domes. And in this clip, Jesse talks about how we can contribute to doing our part in, you know, creating a better world, creating a healthier planet and contributing where we can. You know, if it wasn't for the nature around us, you know, we wouldn't be here. And, you know, we just need to do our part as individuals. You know, it's it's easy to, to turn and say, oh, yeah, but these people are doing this and this group is doing this or this company is doing this. If all of us just take a step back and just go, okay, but what, what can I do? What can I contribute? What can I s- stop doing that, you know, is detrimental to the natural world around me and, and realize that there's a lot more to this world than just money. And there's a lot more to this world than just success. And we all need to be happy and we all need to be content with life and how, how truly great nature is. And we, we, we are the gatekeepers for this and we, we need, we need to do what we can. As long as I'm just helping to be that voice to push this for the better, it's just baby steps. You, know, you just got to do one thing at a time because otherwise you know, there's not going to be a planet to, to protect if we don't change our, change our ways. It's so true that we all have our own part to play in reducing our impact on the earth and creating a better world. And even though it can feel like I'm just one person, what can I really do? I feel like that's a limited mindset. I would challenge that and say there's so many small things that we can do. And just like I always say on the podcast, small things or tiny things add up to big things. And if we just give the example of, and this is the first thing that comes to mind for me, if 10% of us tomorrow decided to stop using plastic water bottles, those single-use plastic water bottles, which I haven't done in a very long time, but I know a lot of people still do, 
Do you know how much positive impact that would have on the environment, on our health, on costs, on so many different bigger picture things? That's just one choice. And so we can take all these micro choices and we know that on a collective level, these micro choices can add up to really big things. And so it can be easy to think, okay, there's so many things wrong with this world or there's so many things I can't control. But if we can just change our mindset and think, well, what is it that I can control? Well, what I can control is what's in my immediate environment, is what my choices are, my behaviors are, my practices are, how I decide to show up in life and in my relationships and in maybe the work that I do or whatever it might be in my community. Those are all really important things. Those small things add up to big things. Those tiny things add up to big things. I know I say it all the time, but it is so evident in this example as well. And, and thanks to Jesse for sharing such sim- simple yet profound wisdom. And then next up, and also the final clip in this episode is episode number 30. I spoke with Adam Hickman, who is the founder of Evergreen Tiny Homes or Evergreen Homes based in Victoria. And in this clip, Adam shares with us one of his biggest lessons from tiny house living as well as just in life in general. Let's hear what he has to share. Feeling into what's right for you, regardless of your surroundings. I've always strived to not judge others. You never know what is going on for another person. You just do not know what's going on inside their mind, what they've experienced, their past trauma, their their lifestyle. Like we're all trying our best. That just might look different to other people. On that sort of topic of disconnect and, and isolation over the last wee while, like that connection of community, localizing taking the power back like localization and community is is fundamental um the power is in the people and believing in yourself and holding your valley but your values close to your heart and and faith in 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 life and yourself the biggest lesson i feel like i've learned amongst you know all the practical skills and all that sort of stuff but the actual backbone to to my life story is is probably that Adam's definitely speaking my language here. It's trusting yourself. It's feeling into what's right for you, not what someone else says is right for you. And of course, it comes back to that community again, like we spoke about with Jimmy's clip earlier. And the reality is we couldn't do it without each other and we weren't supposed to do things alone. And so I think that's a really lovely way to end the podcast on this idea of community. And I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be here. As always, I will be doing a part three of takeaways and highlights from this year's podcast. So that will include episodes 31 up until episode 40, I want to say 45 or 46. So look out for that in the coming episodes. And as you know, every Thursday is a new tiny house conversation. So stay tuned for that and I'll see you next time. Thanks again for listening. And if you enjoyed the conversation today, you found it valuable and you want to support the podcast, the best way you can do that is to share the love. That way I can keep bringing you more tiny house conversations to help you on your own tiny journey. So here are three ways that you can support the podcast. Number one, if you have a friend or family member that you feel would benefit from hearing these conversations, feel free to share it with them, email them, text them, send them a telegram, do whatever you need to do to share it with them. 
Number two, if you hit the subscribe button, you'll know exactly when the next episode is live. And number three, if you head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to podcasts and leave a five-star rating and review. Thank you so much in advance. I appreciate you and I'll see you in the next episode.